Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, Tommy, you know what a guilty pleasure is? Well, I think in the context of this podcast, Dad, it's a car that we really like for, uh, for a number of reasons, but maybe we're a little bit ashamed to admit it. Because everybody hates them. Yes, that's a probably good reason. <laughs> so uh, in this podcast, Tommy and I have picked our top five guilty pleasures, and we're going to reveal them to you. Uh, and um, yes, Tommy, I am going to give you the things that I am most ashamed of liking, and I hope you'll do the same. So we've got some controversial cars on the list today in this hour-long podcast. We're going to answer some questions as well, um, talk about some, uh, some interesting things going around here at the TFL headquarters and everything in between. Yeah, but first, Tommy, I think you think I'm going to say a rant. Yeah, well, we're already 30 seconds in, Dad. We're late for your rant. No, this is not a rant. I've got, I'm bringing up a box for all you guys who are... Uh, listening to this as a podcast, and this box is Jeep and Merrill on it. And uh, the fine folks at Merrill actually have uh, partnered with Jeep, and this is a thank you shout out to them, uh, with uh, a new <laughs> Jeep Rubicon hiking boot. Wow, that is something I was not <laughs> expecting to hear, Dad. I know, look at that. It's got a little Jeep. The box is cool. Yeah, the box has a little Jeep seven-sided grill on the front. Oh, look at this. Look at the shoe. Yeah. Rubicon. And by the way, this is not a paid endorsement. They just sent us some shoes, and I thought they were cool, so... I wanted to share them with you guys. That's a good-looking boot. It says Rubicon on the on the toe. Yeah, there. What does it say on the tongue? It says Jeep on the tongue. Yeah. So what do you think? Is this designed to uh, to hit the trails? Well, the problem with you know the problem with this. It's going to spend all its time in the mall, just like the like the Jeep. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a, here comes a bad joke warning, guys. It's only two-wheel drive. Ah, that's a good one. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that's enough uh, showing off boots. Uh, but winter is coming, so um, shall we get to our guilty pleasures? Yes, for sure. And I will start with my number five guilty pleasure. And this is a car I get made fun of a lot on these press trips we go on because everyone in the in the industry laughs at me. Although not as much anymore. I will mock you mercilessly for this. But one of my guilty pleasures regardless of the generation, is the Toyota Prius. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, um, the new Prius is pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool now. It's fast and it's sleek and it's good looking. But, but the one, let's be, come on, let's be honest here. The one you've been lusting after is the first American generation. The second version would be the second Japanese. So Japan got a version before we got it. And then we got this like little uh, silly four-door uh, kind of boxy commuter car that had about as much personality uh, as uh, a box of tacks. And uh, actually, a box of tacks would have more personality because if you drop them, you'd you know, stumble and hurt yourself on them. But yeah, this every time I like at the auction, I'll send you a picture of you know, that first-generation American Prius, and you get all excited, and I look at it, and it's all rusted out. What do you like about that thing? Well, I like the Prius because I think it is the epitome of a performance car. Okay, okay. you have to explain that. Well, I think it's a lot like a Porsche 911 GT3 RS. 
or a Ford Mustang Shelby in that it is purpose-built for one mission in mind, and that is fuel economy. And they have so much clever engineering packed into these little cars to make them as efficient, reliable, and long-lasting as possible. And I really appreciate the engineering. Plus, I like driving them because it's always a challenge to see how good fuel economy you can get and it makes you a better driver. You know, they're just really great runabouts. If you just need to go back and forth to the shops, to school, whatever, a Prius is always the answer. Yeah, I completely agree. Never has so much clever engineering gone to make a car so boring, Tommy. <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's boring in the sense that it's not fast, it doesn't handle well, it's not low to the ground, <laughs> yeah, it, doesn't yeah, look, go- <laughs> it doesn't look good. Yeah, that's but, stuff people love. Yeah, but I think it's, it's such an was such an innovative idea when it debuted in the States in the early 2000s. It was the real first mass market exposure that a lot of people had to electrification. And um, it, they're just brilliant little cars. And here's something that people don't know because people kind of um, have now uh, conflated, I would say, uh, hybrid drive with Toyota. Yep. Right? But who was here first with the first hybrid? Well, I think Honda beat them to market by, by a few weeks. By like, no, by like, I'm going to say by like six months, if okay. I remember right. It was, it was a little while. That first Insight, the two-door with, you know, the, the kind of the flat fenders across the rear yeah, wheels. Yeah, the, the skirted fenders. Yeah, that one came here like, like six months before the Prius ever did, but that one was a two-seater. And I love the Insight in some ways more than the Prius because it is even more purpose-tailored to I, one mission. I loved it until, don't listen, Andre, uh, until uh, a certain staff member bought it. Uh, because we wanted to highlight it in a video series, except that some cat had gone and done a lot of its duty uh, inside the car. And my God, did that thing stink. And ever since then, every time I see that thing, it is inevitably linked to cat pee with me. And that was, yeah. It, it did have a pretty distinct odor. We spent odor. the whole weekend cleaning out the interior, me and you. Yes, I remember. And, and it, you can't get that stuff out. Once a cat like does its business in your car, it is always going to be marked by that feline. Yes, that was a bit of a shame. But that car was a manual transmission. Um, what I like about the Prius more than the Insight is that, to put it simply, right? It was owned by librarians? Well, the... Yes. The Insight, the gasoline engine and the electric motor have to be running at the same time. Yes. Whereas the Prius can drive a short distance on electricity alone. Um, I just love them. I think they're great. So I remember we had the previous generation of Prius before they got all sexy. And that was a car that not a lot of people liked. But I remember driving... Kind of the cockroachy one. Yeah. I remember driving it around. We had the Nightshade Edition. This was like the end of last year. 31 grand was a sticker. Heated seats, heated steering wheel, leather seats, Apple CarPlay, navigation... Good space in the front. It was pretty quiet on the highway. I was like, what else could you possibly need in a car? It was the best car. Well, we bought that when gas prices went through the roof and Priuses were uh, unobtainium. We had to get the most expensive one at the time because my wife, your mom, was uh, commuting to Denver every day and it was getting very expensive. Yeah, you bought one in like 2005 when the uh, when yeah. the kind of the, the one that all the celebrities bought came out. And I, had to give, I have to give it to you. Yeah, I think Larry David drove it around. Like kind of like... Computer mouse looking one. Yeah, and curb your enthusiasm. And I got to say, I did drive it. I used to do Ironman races, and I did drive it to the uh, Ironman in Wisconsin from uh, Colorado with a friend of mine. We both did the race, and we both fit all of our uh, triathlon stuff in there, which is a lot, Tommy. So imagine, put the seats down. We fit two bikes without having to take them apart. So put one down, put a blanket over it, put another one down, because tri-bikes are, you know, expensive and fragile our wetsuits, all of our gear, all of our luggage, and just uh, trundled 
uh, to Madison, which is a thousand miles away, or a little bit over a thousand from Colorado, and uh, the car got 45 mpg to the gallon. So yes, there is a certain left brain beauty in the Prius, uh, but there, in for but unfortunately, there is no right brained. Uh, this is fun and uh, makes me wanna, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, it's not an enthusiast car from the standpoint it's fast. It's an enthusiast car from the standpoint it gets amazing efficiency and it's it's fun to see what kind of efficiency you can eke out of it. Plus, I honestly, I like them more than like a Camry hybrid, for example, or even a Corolla hybrid because the interiors are always funky and they've got weird dash layouts and the steering wheel juts out of the dash like um, like a spaceship. They're just weird cars. You know that song, Born to Be? I can't sing one. Yeah. Well, every time I got in, I, I changed it to Born to Be Mild. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I know, I know. All right, all right, let's move on to the next one, okay? I'll give you my number five. And you can probably guess this. It is, uh, it is uh, well, the Land Rover. But the whole brand. Uh, the whole brand, yeah. I'm a sucker, and I'll include Range Rover in there, but specifically uh, the early ones. The first uh, in Europe, uh, I think they kept the Discovery name here. It went Discovery 1, Discovery 2, and then LR3 and LR4. And the reason they went from Discovery to LR was because they had gotten such a horrible reputation uh, for basically being unreliable uh, that um, they had to switch the name. And what I love about, let's say, the LR3, which... I think what twenty? What's what's the perfect year? Two thousand five to two thousand eight. LR threes are like the sweet spot. Yeah, it's like 06 through 09. Yeah, yeah. Th those are the ones yeah. that are actually reliable, and because I think Ford had taken over at that point, uh, and you could get them, you know, with a relatively reliable engine. But I, what I love about them, first and foremost, is that. Well, they call it the command driving position, right? Where you kind of sit on top of the car, which in a sports car would be weird and not good, but in a land uh, cruising vehicle. And notice I just use Land Cruiser uh, yes, because, because the that. Land Cruiser has a very similar, at least the older, like the 80 series stance where you sit on top of the car. Yep. It's just magnificent. I love the stadium seating, right, where the people behind you are sitting uh, up higher than you are. I love the little um, safari windows on the side. Uh, uh, I just uh, love, you know, everything about that car. Um, speaks to me except for the fact that it'll eat you out of house and home because every time you go to start it up you're either going to have issues with the head gasket or you're going to have it was the first car to have basically train management that goes south on the early ones right you get the three amigos and it, for those of you who own one you know what those are those are older though those are the discovery twos right i'm talking yeah. but i'm talking about all the, the two discos and the two lrs now um when it went back to disco here the disco five right uh those have they kind of lost a thread at that point, right? They became roly-poly and roundy, but LR3, LR4, Disco 1, Disco 2 are just beautiful, right? Square-jawed, uh, air suspension, which will fail. Mm -hmm. Not It's not if, it's when. <laughs> and, you know, either the little uh, uh, valves let go or the air compressor lets go. Yeah. Uh, the interiors, I love this. Like, there's this kind of, like... Um, Almost must like light mustardy yellow interior. It's beige. That's I love. It's beautiful. Uh, they're just really uh, fun cars to drive. Uh, and when they run, uh, every time I get in them, I feel special. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what makes it so unique. I feel special, right? Yeah, I I I, I would agree with you pretty much across the board. And they're I, dirt cheap. You kind of get sucked in, right? You're like, oh, this thing's only five thousand dollars with one hundred and thirty mile, hundred thirty thousand miles. Look at all the truck you get for your hundred. 30 mile 5k and then you know you get it home and right away something catastrophic something catastrophic like let's go sure right i mean the driving and um operating experience of kind of the 2000s era of land rovers is 
pretty much unlike any other, right? Uh, and you mentioned it, the luxury and the comfort, but also it, it, it does a great job of blending luxury with capability. And they're, they're just way more interesting than like an early 2000s Land Cruiser. And I know that's a hot take and a, a Land Cruiser is going to be much better to live with. It's going to be much more long lived. It's going to be much more reliable. But the uh, Land Rovers do have something really special about them. So I, I do agree. I, that's one of my guilty pleasures as well. Even if the Discovery 2s have a lot of issues, as you talked about, even if the LR3s do have air suspensions, which will eventually collapse, they are some of the most comfortable, capable can, vehicles out there. Can you guess which one of those is one bridge even too far for me? There's one particular model, and it's not a Land Rover. It's not a Land Rover. It's a Range Rover. Uh, I don't know which one is it. The Land Rover Classic. That is uh, that that one has so many problems. Oh, the Range Rover. Classic. The Range Rover. Sorry, the Range Rover Classic. Yeah, that one has so many problems that it's even one bridge too far, and that one is especially. Uh, enthralling and enticing because it looks so classic like uh, you're on the Serengeti and you're chasing wildebeest about but that vehicle oh my gosh run far run fast but yeah they are uh, very beguiling vehicles but even that one is one bridge too far for me. By the way, uh, if you guys can't see it, we had a comment last time. I've got this cool shirt on. Tommy, you want to tell them what I'm wearing? Yeah, we uh, got the new alltfl.com t-shirt. And alltfl.com is our one-place stop to find all of our videos in one convenient location. So be sure to check out alltfl.com if you want uh, Here, to find I'll, everything in I'll one spot. I'll show you what it says in the back. Yeah, my dad was very excited to put staff on the back. And now Andre thinks every time we go out that people are going to ask us where the bathrooms are. <laughs> And that's what he's convinced is going to happen. He might have a point. Yes, he might. He might be onto something at the auto show. He Poor might. guy is just, just showing people where the bathroom is all day. Yeah, I know. All right, what's number four on your list? Uh, well, number four on my list, probably no surprise to people that follow the channel, but I do have a, a, a strong love for the mini brand, right? The little mini Coopers, little English cars, as I think my dad. Does I think too. we both have been bitten by the mini bug. Yeah, they, they um, you know, are some of the most fun to drive cars you can buy, right? And they're very compromised and they're very small and some of the older ones have a lot of issues, but they're, they're just a very unique experience in a land of kind of the same beige crossover. So let me ask you this. You just came back from the UK mm -hmm. and uh, Mini was kind enough to lend you what? Well, I had a Cooper S John Cooper Works for my trip, my vacation, which was very kind of them. And I, I've got a cool video coming over at TFL now. Um, and what was it like driving a MIDI in the UK, and sorry, Brits, on the wrong side of the road? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty tricky. Yeah, tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, driving on the left, especially someone who's not done it before, you really have to use a lot of your brain power. So it kind of feels like you're 16 again and just getting your license and trying to figure out what all the signs do and where to merge and, and where to look. So I, I did struggle with that as, at first, but eventually I got used to it and um, I had a really enjoyable experience driving in the UK, actually. Yeah, I mean, you can see where the Mini got its kind of chops, right? Because here in America, we've got these giant interstates that are dead straight that go on for hundreds of miles. But tell me about what it's like to, where did you go in the UK? You went into the, uh, what was the name of the district you went to? Well, we went to the Cotswolds. Cotswolds, yeah. We went to Oxford, we went to Cambridge. So, so you did experience many roads. Yeah, and the roads really are small. I mean, we're talking by US standards, there'd be one lane, but with two-way traffic. So you spend a lot of time dodging cars, and you also have a ton of turns around these little medieval hedgerows and, and up and down these hills. And um, the speed limits are pretty high for these roads, often 50 or 60. And you really, like, even in a John Cooper works, you really have to push the car in order just to keep up with the speed limit. Unlike the US, where all of our beautiful roads are at 35 or 40 in the mountains with huge, huge lanes. But yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I 100% got to experience where the ethos of that car 
comes from. You also see a lot of them in the UK, which is interesting. Here did, in the States, you may see a few, but you see a lot of them in, in the England. Did you get to go to the Oxford factory? Yeah, I drove past it, which was pretty interesting. <laughs> you didn't go in? No, I didn't go uh, in. They have a really cool uh, like little gift shop there. It's really cool. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot of people, um, I think, don't like the newer ones as much because they've, they've lost the charm of the originals from the 50s and the 60s. But uh, I think, you know, to be honest, BMW has done a really good job of reinventing the brand for modern era, still keeping a lot of the fun, especially in some of the used ones. They're very cheap cars, very unreliable cars on the old ones, but um, they're, uh, they're, they're just a ton of fun for five or $6,000. You can't get a, no. a more, uh, more, more fun no. in your now, face. Full disclosure, Tommy does own a classic Mini what year? It's one of the later ones. Yeah, I've got a, a 93. Which has fuel injection, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, Right-hand drive from Japan. Yep. Uh, and we have owned uh, our share of minis. The last mini that we owned that was new, we owned the SE, right? The mm -hmm. uh, all-electric mini. Um, before then, uh, what was the very first mini you drove? Yeah, my first car was a mini. It was a 2008 convertible. Yep, supercharged. Yep, the last year of the supercharged minis. But um, it also kind of fell apart. The convertibles yeah. of that that first, well, it's not a second generation technically mini, right? Uh, they weren't built. That was when BMW took over, and they were still kind of figuring it out. Yeah, they didn't really have the, the reliability down when they made their return in 2002. But those cars are some of the most fun because they've got these little superchargers. R53. Um, they got these little superchargers, and, and they, they just sing to the moon. And great handling cars. And they're really, really cheap. So those are definitely some of my favorites. But even the modern one, like I really enjoyed that uh, John Cooper Works I had in, in the UK, and I appreciate them lending it to me. They're expensive, and this is something that Americans really struggle with, is spending thirty-five, forty thousand $40,000 on a small car. On a small premium car. But they kind of have a different philosophy in Europe, right? It's it's more, what's the smallest car I can get away with, versus, versus in the US, we kind of think, what's the largest car I can afford? So it's a very different mindset over there. But what you end up with is a really premium little car with the steering wheel leather from a Rolls Royce and, and heated seats and heated steering wheel and all these really nice things um, in, in a fancy little car that's super fun to drive. Yeah, so shall we move on to my number four? Yes, your number four is straight out of Beverly Hills. Yeah, that's why I, 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 it's a guilty pleasure. So my number four is obviously a G-Wagon, but not just any G-Wagon. It is uh, the ultimate G-Wagon, which is the 4x4 square, the lifted one that I got to experience by driving it from California to Colorado. Uh, and I'll tell the story again. If you've heard it, please forgive me, but I'll tell it. So I got to pick it up at a hotel in California in LA after was last year's LA Auto Show. I think it was last year's LA Show. Mm -hmm. And so I picked it up at the lower level and I'm driving past all these Ferraris, Lamborghinis, thinking to myself, I am the bee's knees. Yes, you can make fun of me for saying that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, I was like ultimately flexing and then I round a corner and there was the one vehicle that was cooler than the one that I was driving just parked there. I've never seen one in person. I've only seen them on videos. What was it, Tommy? Yeah, probably a 6x6 G-Wagon. 6x6. <laughs> only in LA will there be a 6x6 G-Wagon squared. However, it was a previous gen. I had the new gen. There you go. But here's the thing. Here's why it's a guilty pleasure for me. Look, uh, your grandfather, right, owned an LTD. Yes. He was not a rich man, right? Okay, yeah. And when he did, we had a restaurant, and when the restaurant became successful, he did buy a Cadillac and then a Lincoln Continental Mark V. Sure. Which was still, you know, expensive for American cars, but still not, you know. And, and part of me could never justify spending a G-Wagon squared when it first came out. First generation was like $250,000, right? Mm -hmm. As much as I love the car, it would be a guilty pleasure because... 
I would just be like terrified to drive it. It's very flashy. I mean, you're sitting, I remember I was driving down the interstate coming back from LA to Colorado and I was looking down at people in a lifted Wrangler, looking down right. at a lifted Wrangler time. You're like, oh, look, you got goop on your roof. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I just, I, you know, as much as I want a G Wagon, I just, there's part of me that just is like, that is an obscene amount of money. And I know on YouTube, like the world we live in, there are guys and gals who are very successful buying Bugatti Chirons and Veyrons, you know, for millions of dollars and kind of doing videos with them and making a great business out of it. You know, to them, like Lamborghini Aventadors are just blah, right? You got to go. But to me, this just is too ostentatious. Love it, but I just could not bring myself to, to, to spend that much money. Maybe if I won that like billion dollar lottery. My issue with the G-Wagon is they are incredible off-road and they are super fast and they got a lot of power, um, but they're a little bit too glitzy. They're very glitzy. Yeah, they, they kind of, they kind of, well, glitzy is a nice way. Douchey would be a more. No, I mean, not, not that, regardless. A, a squared of, one. Like the, here's, the, here's why it's a little, I don't want to use that word again, but you know what I'm going to say, because it's the ultimate off-roader and yet nobody who owns it will ever take it off-road. Maybe in Saudi Arabia, maybe in the, in the sand, but sure. here I, would I wouldn't expect ever to see a G-Wagon squared off-road. I, I would expect to see it on Rodeo Drive in, the, you know, in California. Maybe you'll see a G-Wagon off-road that's you know, 10, 15 years old, but very rarely will you ever see a squared off-road, which it's designed to do. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, what I mean by a little glitzy is there's just too much leather. So they're just too fancy. Right? They're I mean, yeah, you'd be feel bad about getting any kind of mud in the thing. Yeah, I wish they would go back to their roots and have like a more stripped down version for 60000 instead of starting one hundred and thirty, um, which they'll never do because they've got a line out the door for $180,000 G-Wagons. But uh, yeah, if they could have one that was a little bit more basic, oh man, that would thing be awesome. And I know like in Australia, they have more stripped down models. I think they're called the professional, like the Mercedes G professional. Yeah, they're just the older ones were like, you know, military or they were pretty basic, but a G-Wagon squared is none of that. And here's an example, Tommy. So they, look they, at this. This is exactly what I mean. This it's not is on the screen, by the way. Oh uh, yes, I'll put it up on the screen. Yeah. Um, so Mercedes abroad, they still do make a really stripped down one, um, which is just so cool. So uh, yeah, here we go. Let me put it up on the screen. It's it's one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, so it's not it's not that much cheaper. But uh, look at this. Are you ready? Yeah, put it up. It's there. coming up on the screen. What we're looking at here is a G wagon and kind of smaller wheels with yeah. the, a push bar and a little roof rack. Still one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, right. And it, yeah, it's a lot of money. I agree. And here's the problem, right? When we go to Moab, which we do quite a bit, right? Even running like a regular trail with our windows open because it's just that's how you want to off road in Moab if it's not too hot, right? You come back here to Colorado and there's enough sand and dirt and that vehicle to fill a sandbox, really. I mean, it just it just gets sucked in, it's everywhere. Sure. And so, like all that Desenio leather would look like, you know, it's been through, uh, uh, well, a cat box. 
Yeah. If no, I'm going to go back to that. All right. Uh, your turn, Tommy. What is number three? <laughs> yeah, number three We're is kind of down. a little bit off the wall, but it's a car we owned and I, I really had a great experience with. Um, it was a compliance car. So like 15 years ago, um, California, right, the California Air Resources Board went to the manufacturers and said, hey, if you want to keep selling your gasoline cars, you have to sell electric cars here as well. Comply. Yep. And all of the manufacturers were like, oh, man, we have nothing, so what do we do? Well, what they did is they took some gasoline cars, hastily ripped out the engine, put in uh, electric motor, batteries, and then these were called compliance cars. And they, they barely were, got 100 miles of range, barely. Depending, but there's a number of them, like the uh, Ford Focus Electric, the Fiat 500e, uh, there's lots of examples of them. Smart electric. Yeah, but the one car I really liked... Soul electric. Anyway, keep going. The one car I really liked a lot, which we owned, was the Chevrolet Spark EV. Yeah, I know you... So when I was at the uh, Detroit Auto Show, like in 2014 or whatever year that was, when that was debuted... I remember seeing that thing up on the stage, and if you got the first one, the first year, which had the batteries, but I think it was ABC? No, I think it was A123 A123, yeah, A123, I got confused by my ABCs. Uh, Anyway, if you got that one, it had like 400 pounds of torque, and you could actually do a pretty mighty burnout with it, front-wheel drive burnout. Yeah. So when one came up for sale in Florida when we were visiting your grandma, Mm -hmm. um, my mom, uh, I jumped on it, bought it, and shipped it to Colorado and regretted it ever since. I loved it. I (laughs) thought it was a really good experience. I hated that car. It had like a usable range of about two miles. I mean, I I was able to squeeze about 75 miles out of it. Not if you went on the highway. Well, Not if it was cold. I drove it up to Fort Collins. Andre and I did a whole road trip. Um, That Fort Collins is like an hour and a half. That's a road trip. Well, I mean, it's a it's a car that new had 83 miles. This was not intended to be a road trip right. vehicle. It was intended to be a runabout. Plus, ours was kind of a purpley blue. Yeah, it was the launch blue. Uh, 400 pound-feet of torque was more or as much as the Camaro SS at the time. Yeah, but it, it didn't didn't have that kind of torque. When we got it and we tried to do it, it wouldn't do it. Well, it was they, like it, they were like torque limiting. It. They had a lot of torque management, and you only got the torque for like a brief amount of time from 40 to 80 miles an hour or something. <laughs> But when you were doing 40 and planted it, the thing would haul ass. But I loved it because it was a, a really easy car to drive. Kind of a funky interior with this blue plastic across the dash and on the doors. Funky seats. Uh, really cheap to fill up. I mean, the range was limiting, right? But driving around town, going to work and back, it was perfect. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was a really fun little car. Very cheaply made. Not a premium experience in any way. But it was an interesting footnote in history. And I'm, I'm glad we owned it. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I just remember hating to get into it because I was always dreading running out of energy. Even but getting we never in the did. It never left us stranded. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a Roman rant here, okay? Oh, just gosh. A, just a short Roman rant, okay? Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Tommy. Manufacturers at that time believed that all the range you needed was about 60 miles, right? Because that is the average commute Mm -hmm. 30 miles to work 30 miles back so if you have 70 miles what more do you need to drive to work drive home plug it in do the same thing in the next day yeah Mm -hmm. right but i would say i would say that that last 50 miles of of range because of how people's psychology is and how our charging network is poorly set up right now yeah doesn't count so i would say if you thought you needed if you think you need 200 miles of range yep at a minimum you need 250 
Because, yeah. because that last 50, I am so nervous and I'm so stressed that I never want to get near it. Yeah, and, but, and, and you said something interesting. You said you were fine with it, right? Because you would take it down to five miles after 10. And, and I know there are, there are you know, people out there who have no problem taking electric cars all the way to the, to, the, to, to, to the end of the battery. I do. It just stresses me out. And I think many people are in my position. So the, like those last 50 miles don't really count. So whatever range you have, just add 50 to it to make it actually usable. I think would I, maybe it's a generational thing too. It could be. Because like a lot of my friends will be happy using their iPhones at 4%. Yeah, I won't. Right. And, I don't. and you hate that. I hate you that, hate yeah. That, right? I hate when that thing turns like red, and I hate it when it turns yellow. But what was nice about the Spark, and pretty much every electric car, is it's very predictable. So unlike a gasoline car where it says 50 miles, and then all of a sudden you drive 20 miles and it says zero, uh, the electric car is very easy to track your, your, your range usage. So you know when it's going to run out. And um, yeah, I felt comfortable, like you said, taking that thing down to four or five it, miles it, of range. I'll explain to you why I think older people don't. Uh, or at least I don't, I should say older, I should say I don't uh, feel comfortable with that because life has taught me that when, you know, stuff goes sideways, it's exactly at the wrong moment in time. Yeah. So I'm driving around in the Spark and, you know, I have very little battery left and so I got to go charge it and, you know, your mom calls and says, oh, by the way, the dog got out, you have to come home right away to, to find out where he's at. And that'll be the exact moment where I'll pull into the charger and there'll be zero of the four chargers working and I'll have no way to get home and get lazy and find him because that's how life is. So that's why I don't feel comfortable taking it down beyond the last 50 miles. And I know that seems like a high number. I'm sure a lot of you are like, hey, I'll take it down to two miles, right? But for me, let's say 20% of the battery, anything below that, I'm stressed. Yeah, I, I understand that. I think a lot of people are going to agree. I think I'm in the minority. But when you figure out these compliance cars are just for running around town, uh, they're worth the money because they're so cheap. Like six grand will get you a really good Spark EV. And the batteries seem to be lasting pretty well too. Also the first ever car sold, did you know that, with CCS charging, um, 2014 Chevy Spark. So not, not I- the, Not the iMeev? No, iMeev was Chatamo. Oh, that's right, Chatamo. Yeah, the- uh, That was the first car with uh, DC charging. In the States. Yes, in the States. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's yeah. right. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed the, the Spark. Yeah, I, I would probably recommend them to people if you're just looking for a cheap runabout. For like a kid, if you're 16 um, and you don't want your kids getting too far away off the leash, you just, the Spark EV makes a lot of sense. All right, my number three, Tommy, is the car we actually tried to buy. You've got it up there. It's the BMW i8. Yeah. I, I think the only problem with the i8 is it was... Uh, too you know, slow. No, it was introduced too early. No, it was it too was, slow. I mean, if BMW had introduced it like four years later, it would have been a smash hit. It was too slow. Well, that is another problem. So it kind of wrote a check. It couldn't cash, right? It looked like a supercar, but it had mini powertrain <laughs> with a battery. But I just, I just love that car. I love the look of it. I think it's going to be a collectible classic <coughs> uh, very soon. Uh, so it's gonna, you know, it's gonna do that hockey puck uh, um, graph in terms of values. Uh, so get them while you while they're cheap. But here's the reason I think it's a guilty pleasure. Okay. It has to do with the thing I love about it, which are those scissor doors. Yep. But the problem with the scissor doors is that the uh, sill to get into the seat is enormous, and these cars are about. I, you know, I haven't driven a lot of supercars, so I can't compare them, but. In terms of a car, an affordable you know, supercar, which I thought this was at the time because of its kind of clever engineering, 
Uh, it's it's very hard to get in and out of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, very hard. Certainly, even for you. Certainly, this is one of the best designs of the last yeah. twenty years. Great looking car, um, absolutely stunning from every angle. But my issue with it is that it it was just not enough power. So it came out in what the mid like twenty fifteen, I think it came out something like that. Mm -hmm. um, Three hundred and seventy four horsepower in that territory, and um, zero to sixty in four point four seconds. But keep in mind, in like 2015, you could buy a Model S, which would do zero to 60 in three seconds, and it had a four doors and it was a sedan. So like this car should have been a fully electric performance monster, but it was kind of this weird range extender, plug-in hybrid thing that people didn't really understand, and they just it just didn't have the performance that I think people desired. Yeah, and my problem isn't that. I don't mind. I think it's got just amount the right amount. I don't know if I need any more. It's all-wheel drive. I think as a road trip car, it would be almost perfect. But here's a problem that I have with spending. You know, you can get it for like 60K now. Yeah, right? about I, half price. I, I just saw a Roadster uh, on uh, Craigslist in Denver, two years old, like the last year of production, right? Right. It was down to 91,000. Yeah. And by the way, I don't want the Roadster. I want the, the, I coupe. Want the coupe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, here's the issue, right? I love driving cars and I, I love using cars. And I don't want a car that I can't use because I can't get in and out of it. So my typical day... Like a Saturday would be like, I, I, you know, I get up, go for a run, and then, um, you know, go get myself a bagel at the bagel shop, and I drive over to PetSmart, get, you know, get some dog food, then I go up to Longmont, to Sam's Club to buy my iced teas, you know, then I go to like McGuckin's to get something, and, and, and every one of those times I'd have to get in and out of the car, and I would just be so miserable. Hmm. Right, because I'm I'm almost like crawling out of it because it, there's no. I mean, getting into it's easy, right? You kind of do it in that typical way where you put your butt in and you kind of flop down. Sure. But getting out of it doesn't work like that. They're also some of them are having battery issues, which is a little concerning. Yeah. But the, you know what? I would pitch to you if you wanted the i8 experience, but you only wanted to spend thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars. Yep. The i3 is a lot I of love the, the same I3. experience. Yeah. 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 I mean, you still get the insanely cool carbon tub, right? Yeah. You still get the crazy interior. Yeah, we have. That's where we bought one. We yeah, loved it. it. It was a great car. Yeah, loved it. Really interesting interior. Great rear -wheel materials. Yeah. Rear-wheel drive. Pretty fun to drive. Um, obviously, it's not a two-door sports car. It's a lot slower. But the i3 was one of the best cars that I'd ever driven up to that point. I love the i3. I love the sport version we got with the fatter tires toward the end of the production. Yeah, the i3s. I want to say it had like 120 miles of range. And the electric. interiors have these cool, like, floating binnacles and these funky woods. And really, but like, if you're looking for, if you want to dabble your foot into the world of EVs, an i3 is a great choice. And those have been really solid with the battery tech. Those, those seem to have very few issues. Well, both these cars were ahead of their time. And I think that's why they, you know, they kind of didn't, um, I mean, there's no new version of either of those, unfortunately. Right. All right, yeah. what's uh, your number two? And this is the one you had up there for a second. We actually even, we've driven all these. We've owned a lot of them, but we've owned this one. Uh, and at first I was kind of uh, enthralled by it because it was kind of fun and gimmicky and had some really cool stuff. And then I got kind of uh, really quickly bored with it. Well, so um, I I genuinely like the Pontiac Aztec. Yeah, we bought it for like 1500 It was It was yeah. actually a car, the one we bought, was a car they used in the Salt Lake City Olympics to like ferry around uh, athletes. That's right. Yeah. So first year they were introduced, 2001, car known for being one of the most spectacularly ugly cars out there. But what's funny is like now that car design has gotten so weird, wacky, and just crazy in 2023, especially with the popularity of SUVs and this the, the, the new trend where you separate the, the, the headlight from the turn signal. I honestly think the Aztec doesn't look that out of place well, anymore. Well, Tom Peters did that one, right? And he yeah. also did uh, the uh, Silverado. 
And the Corvette. Yeah, C8 Corvette, C7 Corvette, C6 Corvette was all Tom. Now, the, the premise of the Aztec was really interesting. The, the story behind the car is the, the team wanted to build an off-road Camaro. And the initial concept sketches, which you can find online, were, cool. were fantastic. It was, it was a truck. Like a lifted Camaro-looking sport truck thing. But then the penny pinchers, the accountants got involved and said, this is great, but you have to base it on the Pontiac Montana minivan. And then the whole thing just went to heck. Then it just became a minivan with like cool features like uh, you could stick a tent. By the way, we bought the tent. I found the tent online on eBay. Yeah, it was like 500 bucks. It was like 500 bucks, yeah, because we want to do a video with it. Because when it came out, you could get a tent and you could actually camp out the back of it. Uh, the armrest also doubled as a little cooler, yep. if you remember. Yep. There was, there was a whole bunch. It had one of the first heads-up displays. It had a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, it Air was suspension a, in the back. It was a really good packaging uh, exercise because it had a really flat floor, really durable interior, meant for like outdoor activities, that kind of thing, which is what's so hot nowadays. Had a compressor in the back so you could fill up your tires on your bike, for example. Um, the, they had little backpacks for the rear seat pockets so you could take them to go. People actually are looking for those little coolers. That yeah, are... they're really valuable now, yeah. the coolers. I mean, lots of really interesting engineering and design. And it had a pretty good powertrain. So three, I think it was a 3.4 liter V6, which kind of was in that 3800 um, GM family, which is one of the most reliable engines of all time, they're really stout engines. Um, so I liked it a lot. Versatrack all-wheel drive that had um, like a torque vectoring rear diff, which was really advanced back in the day with these uh, these um, um, pressure pumps to distribute and torque. None of that uh, was enough to get it past the ugliness. Yeah, uh, and, I mean that's that's the definition of a car that was hit over the nose with an ugly stick. But that's kind of what I like about it. Is it's just like it's it's kind of. Ours went through starters. Remember? No, was it alternators? No, or starters? ours had an issue where. Oh no, it was uh, it was uh, steering pumps. Yeah, we had an issue with our power steering rack, and it kept eating through pumps. And yeah. to replace the rack was a really big job. And after a while, I got tired of it. Yeah, so the car just wasn't worth it. And it wasn't good off road. No, we always not an off-roader. Yeah. But uh, they're getting kind of valuable, actually. People collect them. I know. Yeah, six to seven k for a good one nowadays, mm -hmm. which is. Pretty nuts for an Aztec. But and you, and you can't find them with low miles. No, they've all been driven, and a lot of them, yeah. I would say probably the vast majority of them have been junked at this point. So, uh, yeah, I genuinely I love the Aztec experience. I have to say just, just my impressions of things. Um, pretty much every General Motors vehicle I've ever interacted with from the mid to late 90s through the uh, early 2000s has been phenomenal. They really nailed in that era simplicity and comfort to and an extent, which I don't think they've returned to. And bad control design. <laughs> it's like big plastic almost. But they're, but they're so <laughs> user friendly. You know, we just did that QA they, grumpy review where you couldn't figure out the screens. Yeah. Um, the, they were user friendly. Like they're say, so they, simple and they're, they're so long lasting. Like we've had the GMT 400 trucks. Yes. Love them. My favorite pickups of all time. Yes, and they didn't have that issue that Volkswagens had and a lot of cars had where they had like this rubberized surface that started to melt after. No, I mean, people gave <laughs> the interiors on, on late 90s GM cars a lot of hell, but they last 25 years. C5 Corvettes, incredible. Um, we had a 2004 Escalade, loved it. Probably the most comfortable vehicle we've ever purchased. Sometimes there's, you know, something to be said for under-engineering. Yeah, I mean, they were just basic, <laughs> reliable, yeah. good-to-drive transportation. So, like, late 90s, early 2000s GM products are some of my all-time favorite. All right, speaking of over-engineering, that's my number two, pro number two car, Tommy. And that, of course, has to be the Cadillac ELR. <laughs> the Cadillac version of the Chevy Volt, which had this really cool drivetrain where uh, Chevy just really, you know, put on their uh, thinking caps and engineered this drivetrain where it could either run off the battery or it could run off the... Uh, um, uh, engine or it could do it together simultaneously. It was really a trick drivetrain. The Volts also had them. Well, you're kind of glancing over the. So, what 
what GM did is they took the Chevrolet Volt. And which was, overpriced it by making it a Cadillac. Yeah, so the Chevrolet Volt <laughs> was probably the first mass market plug-in hybrid. Right, went about 40 miles on the charge. Yes. And then what they did is they, they, they spent way too much money redesigning the whole car, making it a two-door instead of a four-door, um, not changing the powertrain, and then charging 90-plus thousand dollars for a reskin Chevy Volt. And people immediately saw through it, and it was, I think, by most extents, a pretty large failure. But I do agree that it is a very interesting car, and it's actually, I think it's aged really quite well. I love the design language. Uh, the door is probably the longest doors on any two-door coupe. Um, or coupe. Um, I mean, they're, they go from like here to Alaska. They're just incredible. Impossible to get in and out of if you're in a tight parking situation. Uh, but yeah, I love the oversized wheels. I love the design language. They had kind of a lot of Alcantara on the interior of the thing to try to make it more expensive. Just uh, you know, a car that uh, I think would have done really well at like sixty thousand in its day, but at ninety or eighty was so expensive that they only sold you know thousands, if maybe tens of thousands, but barely that. Well, we have a buddy Tom Volk in the industry driven car oh, reviews. Oh, it also had Q, didn't it? I yeah. forgot. That was the big. He had. GM's first attempt at touchscreens, so, which was a horrible cue like system. Touch capacitive controls. Yeah. Um, so Tom Volk, driven car reviews, bought one new. I think he got it for like forty-five grand. Yeah. It was like half off sticker. Sure, yeah, Because they just could not sell these cars. But uh, I, I would agree with you. I think it's a beautiful car. You know, they're still pretty expensive, which is interesting. There's kind of a little community around them. So like a Volt, which is also, by the way, a great car to buy, used or really reliable. A Volt from that generation is going to be like twelve grand. An ELR is going to be like 23, 24, which is about what they were, the gap was new. So like about double what it was, you know, back in the day. So they were 45 versus 90. Now they're 12 versus 24. So yeah, I mean, I love the ELR. I think it's a good guilty pleasure. Once again, I long for the cherry apple red one. Uh, really cool color. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's what I'm going to end up buying because I kind of feel like the time for this car has gone come and gone, unfortunately, and now there are, you know, like the i8, there are probably much better examples for a lot less money. Uh, and I also worry about the battery. Sure. Well, yeah, but the volts are perfect. They're really reliable. And yeah. this is a volt architecture. But at some point, you know, the battery is going to go. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, yeah. like, 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 I don't know if you can replace uh, the Spark EV battery. I don't think you can. Well, so the... That's one of the reasons we sold it, by the The way. early Spark EVs have the A123 Industries Yeah, the company's battery. out of business. Yeah, they, they did the Fisker batteries. A lot of their batteries went up in flames with Hurricane Sandy. <sighs> yeah. Um, so my number one guilty pleasure, before we get to my bonus... It's very slow. ...is, is, um, is uh, the epitome of quality, and that's why I love them. But I really am a big fan of older Mercedes diesel products. So like think 1980s diesels, 1990s diesels. Um, you saw them in a bunch of different forms, but basically the old diesel sedans. Yeah, and you've owned a couple. Yeah, because I love them because they're one of the few- Undrivable? No, they're one of the <laughs> few <laughs> classic- traffic. They're one of the few Stinky. classic- they're one of the few classic cars that you can reliably drive on a regular basis and not worry like French about. French fire yeah, well, you could do that. But these cars are the million-mile engines, right? Right. And what I love about them is, like, everything else in the car will fail, the climate control and the windows and whatever, but the engine will always get you home. And I think that there's something so cool about that. Still used to this day in Morocco as taxi cabs. And that is actually kind of the problem, because the ones you see for sale are dirt cheap. They're, like, anywhere from three to $5,000. They've all got, like, three, four, five hundred thousand 500,000 miles on them. And then you sit in the thing, and the seat, you know, the spring 
pinches you in the butt because it's so well-worn, you know. Uh, the controls are all shot, the radios are gone, uh, the body's rusted. Uh, that, that fake leather that they use is actually hold up, held up pretty well. Yeah, so, but it'll always get you home. So here's the thing. And you want the turbo diesel, the regular diesel. It doesn't matter. No, though. it does matter. The regular diesel fine. is so, I think that Model T we just bought would be faster than uh, an old 70s diesel, like a you're 240. Fine. Like a, no, they're not. They're, they're, they're fine. Not. They're 70 oh, horsepower. God. How much horsepower do you need? But, I know, but they're so slow. Oh, my God. So, so, but it's not about speed. It's about but you can't keep up with comfort. modern traffic. It'll do 75. No, not getting to 75 is a problem. Well, it doesn't matter as long as you get there eventually. I guess I guess I I guess on a road trip maybe, but like around town. If you go 76, you're getting arrested, so it doesn't matter. It's fast enough. <laughs> I do like the big steering wheel on them. Those so, are cool. So the thing is, in the collector market, these cars are getting really valuable. So especially the wagons now are going to be thirty thousand dollars for a good wagon. But a lot of them, like you mentioned, they just got so cheap that people kind of disposed of them and they got treated really badly. So, but I love them. I think they're they're great cars. They last forever. Um, I think they're beautiful. Uh, they're the 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 Paul as a Paul Brock design is gorgeous. What? So which one do you like? The what W what what generation? Well, my favorite of the diesels. There there's two I love, which yep. is like the W one fourteen fifteen. Yep. Which would be like late sixties, early seventies. And then the W123, which would be late 70s through like mid 80s. Um, I think 85 was the last year of those. But yeah, I, I, they're some of my favorite cars. I loved owning mine. It was great. It I, always started. It always ran. It was very comfortable. Whenever, whenever uh, like, uh, we, we, you know, we have an EMP blast, right? Yeah. Where any car that has a circuit will be undrivable. For, forget an electric car. That will always go because you don't really even need a spark plug. You just need compression. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's they're diesel. just they're mechanical everything. Which is you know diesel is well actually it's more refined than gas I think I'm being. No, I think the fuel is less refined. Is it? Is diesel I less refined? I think that's yeah. how it Once works. again, I, I am lost there, so I'll let you. Yeah, but you can convert them to run on vegetable oil. Yep. I, I probably wouldn't recommend it because it does shorten the life of the car a little bit. But so what? Only nine hundred thousand versus, versus one point five million. million. Yeah. But yeah, I mean these older W one twenty three Mercedes. They did them in one twenty six Mercedes as well from the the S classes from the eighties. All of them have a bad air conditioner. Well, <laughs> mine worked pretty good. Remember, once I got it going, it worked pretty good. <laughs> I think it was being a family. I love them. The issue with these cars is they have a lot of vacuum systems. They do. So the locks are powered by vacuum. Yes. The transmission controls vacuum. And, and and the other problem with them is you hit upon it. You're not getting like like Camry or Corolla repair prices, right? You're getting yeah. Mercedes. They're expensive to fix. Yes, yes. But uh, they built millions of them, so parts are very gettable. There are, yeah. Yeah, I love these cars. I think they're they're some of the best uh, classic cars in the world, if not the best. They're just great ownership cars. All right, Tommy, my number one is a vehicle we never got in the States. And for all Europeans, I am so jealous. So I was on a program in Europe uh, driving the new Touareg Hybrid. Uh, and by accident, I got in the wrong car because, well, sometimes these things happen. So I got into a European, not, we got the Touareg with the V10 diesel. Remember that? Yeah, in the early 2000s. That, no, forget about that one. I'm talking about the next generation V8 uh, that only came out in Europe. We didn't get it. Uh, and the crazy thing about that car is I got into it, I floored it, and I thought I was on a rocket ship. It had something like the same amount of torque as a... A Cummins diesel of that generation. I want to say they had like 600 pound foot of torque. They were crazy. I don't know. Volkswagen just decided to go completely off the reservation and build a, you know, build a diesel with as much torque as a as a dually truck. I think it was more. I think it was 850. It, it was some. It, it was like it just. It was incredible. And I've never felt that much. Right. People say you buy for horsepower, you drive for torque. 
And if you understand that saying, you'll understand why 800 or whatever, how, how many pound of torque that was. And I never did get the answer because I was American wave and that car was meant for like the European waves on this program where journalists go. So I never really did get the n numbers down. So what my dad's referring to is what they call the T3. Tuareg or Tuareg is what they're officially called. In UK they say Tuareg. Uh, but that's, uh, it's, so it's, it's named a, it's after the tribe, tribe, and the yeah. tribe is called the Tuareg. Yeah, but we say Tuareg. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I think Tuareg, the tribe, is spelled without the O. I just, yeah, I just like to say it the way people mostly or say Or the A. It. Anyways, um, so this is the T3. It came out in like 20, I don't want to say it was like 2011 or 2012. Sometime around there. Yeah, sometime around there. So we did get the diesel in the U.S. But we got the crappy three-liter uh, Dieselgate one. Right. The Europeans um, got a V8 diesel. But these are really good cars. Even the so if you don't get the if you don't get the, the diesel, which are fine the TDIs, but if you get like a standard V6 um, Tuareg of of this era, they were competing with like BMW and Mercedes in 2011, 2012, right? They were very expensive. They were fifty, sixty thousand dollars, which was a lot back then. And they were Volkswagens, so they didn't sell as well as like the X5. But nowadays you can get them very cheap. They have really comfortable interiors, great technology for the day, very refined cars. Yeah, but from my point of view, right, it's like almost impossible to go, and you know this feeling, like once you fly to Europe on business class, it's <laughs> very hard to fly, you know, coach or tourist class. And once I drove the European V8 diesel, it was very hard for me to go back and drive the American three liter diesel, uh, which was, you know. It was fine. It was, it was, it was fine, yeah, but compared to the rocket that that European one was, it was not good. I think these cars are still, at least some of them, under the diesel emissions warranty. Hey, if you guys are listening to this in Europe, uh, maybe in the UK, uh, we have a lot of listeners in the UK, thanks for listening. Uh, let us know, or let me know in the comments below, because we do read our comments, if you have actually driven or owned one of the T3-8 uh, cylinder diesels uh, that I'm talking about. What, how many uh, liters were they? I don't the know ones. in that generation. I yeah. don't. It's I don't hard know. for us because we don't. We don't get. We didn't get it here, so it's hard for us to know the specs on it. So the early ones, which I think are way cooler. Yeah. Like the V10s. The, the V10 diesels. Those had like 450 pound foot of torque. Right, but which was a lot in 2004. It was. That yeah. was mind blowing. That right. was the one that pulled the 747. Yes. Um, those cars are Im so impressive. Air suspension, locking diffs, but they had a five liter twin turbo uh, V10 diesel. Yes, that is extremely expensive to keep up. Yeah, like one of the most expensive repair costs of any car ever. I'm, I'm going to take a guess at this because I, I've been saying this for a while, but I think I heard it from a reputable source. I want to say the alternator is water-cooled, which I think it is, and if it goes, you got to pull the engine to replace the alternator. No, so the alternator is liquid-cooled. These cars have, uh, which is true, it's the starter. Is it started? Yeah, so the issue is, is the car is the size of a RAV4. Yes, and, RAV4. and you've got a big... You've got a 5-liter twin-turbo diesel in a car the size of a RAV4. So to fix a lot of the, the, the components that go wrong, you have to pull the subframe, the and whole that's engine. Why, that's why I never wanted that car. It was too complex. But, Next I mean, gen. so they all need turbos at 50,000 miles. Um, they have a lot of issues with... Um, I thought you liked diesel. I thought you were I love, Mercedes. Well, I like, yeah, but the mechanical, simple diesels. Oh. These things are a mess. Right, they're just they're just a mess, um, but the, they're still amazing. I still love them. I mean, I would love a V10 Touareg diesel as long as you're the one paying to fix it. But uh, that's a big ask. Two batteries. So here's an example of over-engineering. It had a, a battery under the hood and a battery under the seat, if you recall. And I remember when we had ours, we were charged by our mechanic two hundred and fifty dollars not to replace the battery, 
but just for the labor to replace the battery. It was for the battery as well, because even on our V8. No, it was 400, the bill was 400 times. The, the batteries on the V8s are like tractor batteries. They're huge. And then the diesel, you have two. So you've got one battery that powers the electronics, another battery just to start the five liter. So really over-engineered uh, It cars. was like, it was literally like a half a day job. It was a big job. Yeah, Toby really, it was yeah, a long job yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah remember. Anyway, so um, that is our top. I got my bonus. Oh, you have a bonus, Tommy. Pray tell, what is your bonus? My bonus, yes. So, I am a huge fan, one of the most unloved cars. We just did a series on them over at TFL Car in our cheap Jeep series. Spent a lot of time in both of them. A but C5 Corvette. I love those. That's one of my guilty pleasures too. But the Jeep Liberty. Mm. The Jeep Liberty. First gen, second gen. Uh, both. Both. Wow. Both very interesting. The yeah. roly-poly one or the square one? So the roly-poly one was a, kind of an unfortunate vehicle because it it was built to replace the Cherokee XJ. Yes. Which is the most loved Jeep, arguably, of all time. With the 4-liter. Yeah, so loved. Solid axles. And then they came out with the Liberty, which had the V6 and independent front suspension, and people kind of lost it. But what people don't realize is there's a lot of similarities between the Liberty, which is a $3,000 car, and the XJ, which is now a seven dollars or $8,000 car. The, the frame design is very similar. The rear axle is very similar. In some cases, virtually the same. Um, like the position of the fuel tank was behind the rear axle, which was a problem on Liberty's, but that was because it was an evolution of the Cherokee design. So lots of similarities, and it drives like a little baby Wrangler. Vertical windshield, square, chunky controls, huge windows, except a Wrangler from 2005 is gonna be 15 grand, and a Liberty is gonna be three. So I really love the first-gen Liberties, and then you can also get the diesel, which was really cool. 2.8 liter, I think it was a VM Maturi diesel, um, but really interesting sound, just not, not a loved car by any stretch of the imagination, but I really liked it. So I've got a question for you since you recently returned from the UK. Yes. So I've been watching uh, these two British shows, because American TV car shows are, God, all the same, right? They are sure. all the same. Every one of them is either a Challenger, a Charger, a Mustang. And not that there's anything wrong with those cars, but there's a much bigger world of cars out there than just muscle cars that every American show seems to, or Tri-5 Chevy, that seems to focus on. And I get really <laughs> bored of that. So I think on uh, Amazon, I've been watching two British shows. Uh, and they're kind of in the, if you've seen Wheeler Dealers on Motor Trend, they're kind of in that kind of realm, right? And one, they both have the word bangers in them. One's called flipping bangers. It's these two guys who buy cheap cars uh, and then fix them up and then flip them. And then the other one is bangers and cash, which is about an auction house in the UK yeah. where they go and they find uh, like cars, like, I don't know, barn finds, and then they have an auction once a month and then they sell them. And then you find out in very good uh, kind of BBC way, I think. I think it's a BBC show. Because in America, we don't have these kinds of budgets. Not, not just who buys them, but what happens to them like two months after they were bought, which mm -hmm. is really cool. Uh, but what astounded me, Tommy, and I, if you're in the UK, I'd love to know why. How come cars in the UK uh, are so cheap when they get to be over like, I don't know, 20 or 30 years or even less, right? So cheap. Like there was one episode where they bought a Rolls Royce for 5,000 pounds. Wow. Five, I, I, mean, I, I mean, you can get cheap Rolls Royces here in America. But you're still not going to go under ten thousand dollars, I don't think. Well, what I learned or more like fifteen or twenty if if it's if it's running. So what I learned in the UK is they've got um, something called MOT, right? Which is their road inspection, which we don't really have. Which we don't really have. No. And what I learned from my trip there is just how rigorous <laughs> the MOTs are. Yeah, we've got cars driving around with like you know 
giant chunks of their body kind of flapping in the wind. Sure, right. And no one seems to be bothered by it. But like in an MOT, they'll check brakes and they'll check suspension play and they'll check. You don't need. You need one brake. Drivetrain <laughs> lash, and they'll check all the bulbs and, and any structural rust or non-structural rust. And the more the diesel smokes, the better, Tommy. You're talking about the U.S. I'm talking I'm, about the U.S. I know. I'm saying I'm kind of giving you a point counterpoint. But um, so what I learned is that the MOT is extremely hard to pass for a lot of older vehicles. Mm. And if a vehicle doesn't have a recent MOT, uh, and the, the, the buyer and seller know that it probably won't pass the MOT, the car has basically got a lifespan. Because at some point, it's going to be more money to fix a car to pass the MOT than the car is worth. And that causes a real dip in the uh, secondhand market for cars. Because if it doesn't have a recent MOT, then you know you're going to have to do that as a buyer. And especially if it's an old car that hasn't been perfectly maintained, it's probably not going to pass. You don't think it has to do with the fact that, like in America, uh, people have no problem, uh, or maybe because we have a lot of uh, immigration here, right? People have no problem driving cars that in many places in the world, uh, or they don't have a choice but to drive cars to work that in many of the places in the world, developed places would be unfit, like in Germany or in the UK, right? Things where the brakes are probably questionable or, you know, basic things like steering uh, and emission isn't there, or if it is there, it's barely there. Like, like so I'll give you an example. Here in no, Colorado- No, I, I, don't, I don't think that's it at all, Dad. So, so here in Colorado, we have to do, in California too, what they call emissions or in California, smog, right? but it's only in the six counties around Denver. Sure. So if you've got a junker that's not gonna pass emissions, what most people will do is they've got a friend or a buddy that, that doesn't live in these six counties and they'll title it outside of you no. know, the Denver metro area. I, I don't think it's that because everywhere around the world, UK and Germany included, they have folks with lower income right. that are looking for cheap cars. A lot of folks like that. Okay. I think it's more down to the rigorous requirements it takes to get the cars to pass. Which uh, in the U.S., like you said, even Colorado, if you've got a car that's not going to pass emissions, you title it somewhere else. That forerunner, right? It could have bad ball joints. It could have bad uh, brakes. It could have uh, it could have um, leaks Shh, out of the. Don't, don't talk about the forerunner. You're, 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 well, I'm I'm you're, previewing you're, something. You're giving away a series we're working on. It could have. Uh, it, oh, Tom, what we're doing? It had a number of issues. But in Colorado, they only check for tailpipe emissions. I, look, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And by the way, Sam, thank you from uh, Wheel Bearings. Thank you for emailing me. He, 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 I asked a question about uh, uh, why um, Scout is now owned by Volkswagen, and he gave me the whole list of reasons. Mm -hmm. If you want a good podcast, go check out uh, Sam and uh, uh, Nicole uh, and... Uh, Robbie. Robbie. I was going to say Bobby, but it's Robbie over at Wheel Bearings. They do a great job. Uh, where was I going with this? I have no idea. Oh, oh, I, anyway, um, like I also, I, I also listen to a lot of British ones like Seen Through Glass, uh, Top Gear podcast, which is really fun. And uh, what's another British one I listen to? There's got to be more than that. Uh, oh, um, The Intercooler. Okay. But uh, like I was listening to The Intercooler today, and they're writing a story on a... Uh, on a vehicle, and they won't tell you what that story is because they want to make you go and read it, right? And I don't believe in that. I mean, I really just, I really, like, so I'm listening to it. Don't tease it. Just tell me what it is. So just tell them what we're doing, except for the one car, which is a surprise. Um, you can't tell them the one car. Yes, yeah, so we are doing a that cheap. Would wreck, that would wreck a really. We did the cheap Toyota thing. Uh, sorry, cheap Jeep thing. Yep. Um, so what we decided to do is to see what we could get from the world of Toyotas. So we set uh, a, a budget, once again. Of uh, $10,000. Yes, which is much harder to get in the Toyota world because the resale values are much higher. Especially in Colorado. Yeah, but we went out and bought three off-road Toyotas. Um, so we're trying to prove that what people think, 
the Toyotas are the most reliable vehicle. So we're, like we did with Cheap Jeep, we're doing a video series where I gave the boys $10,000. It had to be a Toyota. It had to be less than $10,000, and it had to have over 200,000 miles. Right, and I don't know. I mean, part of it to that is just to get a good four-wheel drive off-road Toyota. Four hundred ten grand is pretty hard to do, regardless of the miles. So I think a lot of it it just happened to be high mileage stuff. But yeah, so we went out and bought a couple of cheap Toyotas. Um, we're not very good at build series, as we learned from cheap Jeep. So we're going to leave them stock as they are. We're going to maybe put some tires on them, uh, bring them to the mechanic. See what they're like off-road without rubber. And thank you for Falcon for lending, giving us tires on the last series. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was very kind of them. Um, and, yeah, so we'll put some rubber on them, and then we'll take them to Moab and try them again and see how the Toyotas do off-road. And so, how they hold up. So we got all three vehicles secure. As I spilt the beans, one of them is an old 4Runner. Of course. You could have guessed that. Yes. Um, and that is your vehicle. Very high mileage, over 250,000 miles on that car. But, yeah, you'll see it coming up. I think we're going to hopefully premiere the series in October. Uh, maybe November, um, b because we still have a lot of filming and production to do with that series, but it's definitely going to be worth a, worth a look. I gotta tell you, I'm so excited because uh, I think we have a lot of Toyota fans that listen to the show, watch our videos, uh, so I'm super excited to actually lean into uh, Toyotas. And once again, Tommy? Yeah, all TFL.com, so if you want to stay tra stay tuned with what we're doing, um, we'll have all those Toyota stuff, all the Jeep stuff. Or, or find out where the bathroom is. Yeah, you'll find out where the bathroom is. If you see Andre at the auto show, <laughs> be sure to ask him. But um, all TFL.com. All right, guys, thank you for spending an hour with us. As always, this is Roman. And this has been Tommy. Saying thanks for watching and listening, and we shall see you next time. Ciao. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.